This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. All right, so let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to 2 Peter. And I'm going to pick up tonight primarily with verse number 8, where we left off the last time that I was teaching this chapter. I was in a pastor's conference last week. While, while you're turning, I think I'm going to actually go uh, <clears throat> and read in this particular verse or passage here. Um, I'm going to go back to uh, verse number 6, uh, or actually 5, that will lead us into verse number 8. So Second uh, Peter chapter 1, and I'll pick it up with verse 5 that will launch us into verse 8. Okay, so I'm going to go back and uh, read beginning in verse number 5 tonight. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. And uh, that's where I basically left off the last time we were talking uh, and uh, going through this Bible study. We were talking about the difference between affilius love and, and agape love. That word charity is the word for love. And so that brings us to verse number eight. For if these things, and that's why I wanted to back up to verse number five, to give us uh, an, uh, a familiarity with uh, what, Verse 8 is really talking about, for if these things be in you, and what Peter's mentioning in verse 5, 6, and 7, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to look now because at, uh, these particular passages five, six, seven, and it talks about charity. All of these aspects of Christianity, all of us ought to be saturated with these particular things. And there is a passage of scripture in Galatians chapter five. I don't know if I had that on my outline for you tonight, but in Galatians chapter five, I want you to see this in verse number 22. Because when I read this five, six, seven, and we talk about in charity. I want you to look at this. Paul is writing in this passage, and he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. All of those things, as we read here of these incredible things in verse 5, 6, 7 as well, but these are the things that sets Christianity apart from all of the other religions of the world. And the Word does make it clear, by their fruit you shall know them. When we get to verse number 8, for if these things be in you, we should, I think every one of us should desire to be fruitful in our Christian walk, in our Christian life. We should desire to be fruitful uh, in our walk with the Lord. Here's the thing about what we're speaking on tonight. Christianity is not about a bunch of rules 
And it's not about a particular creed uh, that uh, people recite and, and repetitiously hang on to. But Christianity is about a real, loving, kind Lord, Lord and Savior. And when you read the scripture that's on the screen for you tonight, and then you go back and review these passages here in 5, 6, and 7 of First or Second Peter chapter 1, all of these things that Peter tells us to add to our lives, it's a direct result of having a, a good knowledge of our Lord. And in verse number 9, he says this, but he that lacketh these things, okay? So we've just given you some things to make notes of in Galatians 5.22, but also here in 5, 6, and 7. And Peter says that if you lack these things, these particular things, he is saying, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And hath forgotten, this is important, this is imperative, look at this. Now, he's not talking about physical eyesight, obviously. He's talking about spiritual eyesight. And he says, but he that lacketh these things, and we've just given you a great uh, explanation of 5, 6, and 7, and then the one in Galatians. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And have, now, look at this, look at this last part of verse number 9 here. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And so what Peter's talking about here tonight in our study, he's talking about a serious level of being backslidden. That's a word that I think we get away from in, in our study in these modern days that we live in. The word backslidden is not... A typical Sunday morning sermon is not something that you hear a lot, and I'm not saying that's right. I think that uh, if it was good to preach back then, it's good to preach now. But here is the thing that I want you to think about in this particular verse. Any believer, professing believer, that does not exhibit the characteristics of the Christian life is backslidden. And Peter brings it to the forefront of the study. He says, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. And here's, here's where the initial stages of being backslidden, this is how it progresses. Because a person, when they forget, when they allow it to escape their memory, or they have shut out the conviction of the Holy Spirit and hath forgotten, look at that, that's very important, hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. There, there is a passage of Scripture in the book of James that says this in James chapter 4 and verse number 17. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I was just having a conversation with some folks today, and I was asking an individual if they really, truly, honestly 
knew the difference between right and wrong. And I think all of us, especially in here tonight, we're here tonight, Wednesday night, they say is the backbone of the church. I'm sure there are people that are not here tonight for various reasons and understood. But all of us tonight here in this setting, I'm sure, I'm, I'm believing that. My testimony about everybody here tonight is that every one of us know, we know what the Lord expects of us. And we have been taught for years what, what the Word teaches and what the Lord expects of us. And we, we know what it's like to be in fellowship with God. We know what it's like to be out of fellowship with God. But here's what I believe about this subject about being backslidden. A professing believer who has wandered afar off. And by the way, when you, when you read this passage, we have to acknowledge and remember that Simon Peter was one, and you see and cannot see afar off. Well, he was one of the ringleaders who was following afar off when Jesus was being crucified. So he knows what being afar off is all about. He's not writing as a novice and cannot see afar off. Now, in this case, he is, he is giving us the implications here as we study the word that a person who has forgot from whence they came, a professing believer who has wandered off, I believe this, has truly forgotten by whatever distraction in life may be, has truly forgotten the price that had to be paid for our sin, the price that had to be paid for our soul. We have to remember tonight that it was not ordinary blood. It was the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. It was God's own blood. And so I believe that when a person is not producing the fruits of the Spirit, like Paul was speaking about in Galatians 5.22, and they are demonstrating a life that is absent from these particular things, Peter says, but he that lacketh these things, not, not to those if you mean well, but he said, if you lack these things, that person is blind and cannot see afar off. And he says, hath forgotten. It's not my outline, that's his. Hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Now in verse number nine, I want you to look more at this. Peter's also describing a believer who is still remaining as a babe in Christ. Obviously, if we're adding Galatians 5 in our life, the fruits of the Spirit, and we're, we're incorporating these particular things that Peter's talking about in our life, we're growing in grace. There is some development in our life that we are progressing, we're moving forward. You know, probably one of the best illustrations or examples of people remaining babes in the faith, I could go back to the Old Testament in a reference because I think a classic example of that is the children of Israel. They had gone hundreds and hundreds of miles and they have wandered for years in the wilderness 
But you have to remember this. Prior to that experience, they had groaned for hundreds of years in their captivity. The sentence of death was upon them. Then, then God sent the Moses. You remember the story. And Moses in the Old Testament was a type of Jesus in the New Testament. Moses was their redeemer, and he delivered them. The thing that uh, stands out to me in that Old Testament story is that Moses delivered the children of Israel through the power of the blood. When he told, when God told Moses, you tell the people now to cover the doorposts, the lintel with the blood, God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so when we look back at that Old Testament story, we see how that blood was used in the redemption, as the Old Testament saints, the believers who were following God under the leadership of Moses, they marched triumphantly out of Egypt. They were given that deliverance, that redemption from the Passover lamb, a type of Jesus, a type of the blood of the cross. In their, in their victory of marching out of Egypt, they were fed bread out of heaven. They were given water to drink from the rock. They were brought to Mount Sinai, and they were taught how a redeemed people should live their lives. You think about the process God went through to get them out, to bring them out, to deliver them, and then instead of growing in their faith, the word says that they begin to murmur, they begin to complain, they begin to rebel against Moses. And so at that point, they had provoked God so much that he commanded them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. I think one of the things that perpetuated that was they had forgot, they had forgotten the depth of pain and anguish that they had when they were slaves. They had forgot what it was like to serve their taskmasters. They, they had somewhat, they had forgotten about the sentence of death that was upon them. They had forgot what it was like to be blind. And so as a result of that, it got them into a heap of trouble. And so that's, I think we can look at this passage tonight and we can get the illustration from the Old Testament. Peter says, and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten. When we forget from whence we came, it'll get us in trouble. In verse number 10, wherefore the rather... Brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fail. Now, there's a couple of interesting words here in verse number 10, and we'll take a little bit of time to talk about it this evening. First of all, look at this word diligence and underline it in your scripture because the word diligence here, it conveys the idea of of, of zeal or energy or to make haste. 
And it means that we should exert ourselves and make sincere efforts. This is what the word diligent means. But then there comes another word here. It says to make your calling and election sure. Now I want to pause just for a minute because this word election, sometimes we read it as as the elect. I study the word enough to know how certain things can creep into the church, can creep into the body that is not, and we'll see here in some more verses to come, the the correct inspiration of Scripture. Peter gives us great caution about not using our own private interpretations for what we would call inspiration. And I think there's a big difference there. But this word elect, sometimes people have used this word to bring about a false doctrine called predestination. Now, what does, what does predestination mean? Because it is a biblical word, by the way. But most of the time, the word predestinate or predestination or the word elect, those words, the majority of the time that they're used in a body form, in a, in a congregation form, there is what is called Calvinism that creeps into the body. And I will tell you tonight, we're not Calvinists. There, I don't have time tonight to preach a sermon on Calvinism, but primarily there are five strategic points that are Calvinist. And if a person believes in all five points of Calvinism, they are called a hyper-Calvinist. We, we're not Calvinists. We're not hyper-Calvinists. We don't believe in Calvinism. What, what does that mean, preacher? Sum it up for us real quick. I do not believe, and you should not believe, that God has handpicked anybody to go to hell, that he has blotted their name out of the possibilities of being saved, born again, that he has shut the Holy Spirit off from speaking a word of conviction to their heart and life. I don't believe that God is up in heaven saying, eeny, meeny, mine, mo, you can go, but you can't go. And you can go to heaven, but you need to go to hell. I, that's not how God's word works. We believe in, in the free will of man. And the scripture says this for in one case or one instance, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10, 13. That word whosoever is built and framed around the free will of man. It's sort of like John three sixteen, the classic of whosoever is in all the word. For God so loved the world, not just a few, not just this crowd and this group, but God so loved the world that whosoever, that's talking about the free will of man, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, Calvinists are, are very prone, very quick to bring a word like this, elect, and uh, to attach it with this doctrine of predestination. Now, what, what do we mean by that? I don't want to confuse anybody because we do believe that uh, the word predestined is in the scripture, but the word means the foreknowledge of God. That's what this means. So when you get across a word like this, the word elect is talking about the foreknowledge of God. So what does that mean, preacher? 
The foreknowledge of God means that God is omniscient. Do we not believe, church, that God knows everything? We certainly believe that he knows everything. There's nothing that he doesn't know. He knows all things. So here's the thing. Because God knows all things, he does know in his foreknowledge who is going to receive his son Jesus as Savior, who will be saved. He knows that. He knows who will reject the Lord, who will not be saved. Now, he also knows who's going to heaven, and he knows who's going to hell. The problem is this. I don't know, and you don't know. That's why it's important that we obey the Lord in the Great Commission, that we go into all the world and preach the gospel. The Calvinists will tell you, you don't need to go. You don't need to sow the seed. You don't need to sow the word because it's already said and done. God already knows who's going to heaven. He already knows who's going to hell. And I will give a Calvinist that much because it comes under the foreknowledge. It comes under the omniscience of God. He knows everything. He's all knowing. The problem is you don't know and I don't know. So when Jesus said, listen, you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and whatsoever things I've commanded you, and he said, lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world, amen. I have a biblical, you have a biblical responsibility to take this word and sow the seed. We have to do it. Now, yes, God knows, but we don't. And so the elect is a spiritual word. It's a biblical word here. God knows how all the people of this earth will respond to the gospel. He also knows how all the people will respond to circumstances in life. Let me give you three scriptures here real quickly. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and 23, look at this. He knows how we will all respond to the circumstances of life. So look at this scripture. Let's read it together on the screen. It says, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Verse 23, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel. And look at this. For knowledge of God, ye have taken... See, that didn't come as a surprise to God. He knew this was going to happen. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. By the foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse number 19, the word says this, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. Look at this. The Lord knoweth, this is his omniscience, this is his foreknowledge. The Lord knoweth them that are his. It's not a mystery to him. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart iniquity. And in John chapter 10 and verse number 3 and in verse number 14, the word says this, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And look at this. And know my sheep. So yes, he does know. 
He's not oblivious to this. He knows, he says, and am known of mine. So God knows who is going to respond to him. God knows how we as believers will respond to the circumstances of life. God knows who will reject him. In fact, God knows the exact number. He doesn't ballpark this thing. God knows the exact number. But the Holy Spirit, here is the thing. The Holy Spirit sees to it that every person has an opportunity to be saved and the ability to respond. Now, let me get you to think about something tonight. Let's talk about Judas Iscariot for just a few moments. Have you ever thought about it this way? That Judas Iscariot in the Garden of Gethsemane, he kissed the door of heaven and died and went to hell. Now, did Jesus know that Judas would betray him? I believe that Jesus knew Judas would betray him before Jesus was ever born in Bethlehem's manger. The word says he is the lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. You see, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, the Bible says there are three that bear record in heaven and these three are one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Trinity. And so you think about this. There's never been a time in the Holy Trinity when one or the other didn't know what was going on and what was happening and how things would play out and how things would be. They, they knew this. And so when Jesus came to this earth and he began his public ministry when he was 30 years old, he knew from the get-go that Judas would betray him. But the question is this. Did Judas have an opportunity to receive Jesus just like Peter, James, and John? Did he, did he have an opportunity? He most certainly did. He was as close physically, he was as close to the Lord as any of the others. He heard Jesus preach the same message. Peter heard Jesus preach. Judas heard Jesus preach. Peter saw Jesus perform miracles. Judas saw Jesus perform miracles. Every opportunity that was given to Peter, James, and John was given to Judas. Now, here's the thing. But God knew in his foreknowledge, God knew in his omniscience that no matter how close Judas ever got to Jesus, no matter how many sermons Jesus would preach, no matter how many signs and wonders Judas would watch Jesus perform, God knew in his omniscience and his foreknowledge that Judas, no matter what, would not believe in his heart. And as a result of that, God didn't pick Judas to die and go to hell. And I've heard many people who are Calvinists that use that as an argument. God didn't pick Judas to go to hell, 
But God knew that no matter what he did, and no matter the opportunities that were given to him, just like they were given to the rest, Judas would not believe. And as a result of that, God allowed Judas to make those decisions that ultimately led. God didn't make those decisions for Judas. Judas made those decisions out of his own wicked, evil, sinful heart. And he had hardened his life. He had hardened his heart so much against the truth that truly when he, when he put his lips on the face of Jesus and said, Hail, Master, Jesus said, I'm the door. He kissed the door of heaven and ultimately died and went to hell. This word is a word that we're going to be looking at from time to time down the road. This thing about election, this thing about elect. And verse 10 again, for if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Now, verse number 11, because I believe this, is, this verse kind of helps us to stay on track. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so what I have put in the margin of my notes here tonight is that the path to victory in all of our lives comes down to this. We have to continue to grow in grace. When we stop growing in grace, we will forget. We will forget from whence we came. We will forget the price that was shed for us on the cross. And, and let me say this, when we stop growing, at some point we are going to fall. Now, not to say that if we grow in grace, we're going to be perfect people. I don't want to suggest that at all. Because the truth of the matter is this, anybody, and I was just telling a group of people this yesterday, I preached a funeral for some family friends. Thank God we had four people saved. And I give God the praise for that. But, but let me emphasize something, and I've said this a hundred times, if not more, in my funerals, that everybody that goes to heaven is going to go through the blood of Jesus. It's going to be through Christ and Christ alone. There's no other way. Absolutely no other way. I don't care how many works you do, how much money you pay, how many prayers you pray. There is only one way that a person can go to heaven, and it's through Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth in life. He didn't say, I'm an, another way, I'm a good way, I'm the best way. He said, I am the way. And nobody can get there through him. But listen, and, and I, hope, I hope you can wrap your heart around this truth tonight. Because everybody that goes to heaven, we're going to go through the blood. We're going to go through Jesus. There's no other way. But not everybody, we, we will all go the same way. But not everybody will enter the same spiritually. And I want to explain that because I believe there are different degrees of glory and different measures of capacity and even though we will all go through the blood, we will all go through Jesus. We will all go through the finished work of the cross. There's no other way. But a person who, who is truly saved but has forgotten the price that was paid for their sins, as Peter brings out here in this passage, and becomes backslidden, people will enter heaven 
differently. And, you, and I want you to think about this. Because our positions and our conditions will be different based upon the fact that we grow in grace, that we bear the fruits of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is clear as day on this because some of us will receive rewards and some of us will suffer loss. And the measure is different with everybody. The measure of their reward will be different. We're not all going to get the same rewards. The Bible speaks of five specific crowns. There, there are going to be people, look, that are going to be in heaven with all five crowns. There are going to be people over there with three. There's going to be people over there with one. There may be some over there with none. But listen, the, the crowns are not given to us to decorate ourselves for eternity. They're given to us to lay at the feet of Jesus. But I believe that there will be some who are ashamed. In fact, the word says this, that we work, that we will not be ashamed at his appearing. So, we will all go to heaven through the blood. We will all go through Christ and Christ alone. There is no other way. We have to go through Jesus. But I promise you, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ differently. Not everybody will stand there receiving all five crowns. And that's my prayer. But for you, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to read this passage for you quickly in verse 39 through 44. My time is gone. i got to close with this passage tonight. But let me end with this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 39 through 44. All flesh is not the same flesh. We, we have to get that. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. And verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Now look at this. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. And it is raised in power. And so the ground for our entrance to heaven is the finished work of Christ. But our position when we get there is going to be different. And the difference is, are we growing in grace? Are we maturing? Does our life reflect the fruits of the Spirit and these things that Peter's talking about in 5, 6, and 7? You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.